And this morning in studio, we have some lovely folks here who are going to be talking about the transition movement. Uh, we have Walter Steensby from Regenerate Canberra and Mark Spain from Sea Change and Scotty Foster from Nina. And uh, I'd just like to touch on the transition movement here being described as a movement of communities coming together to reimagine and rebuild our world. So, uh, gentlemen, if you could tell us a little bit about what the transition movement is and, and what your role has been in it. Good morning, everybody. Uh, the transition movement began in a town in Devon oh, about 20 years ago called Totnes. They recognised there that there were problems with the energy supply, that it wasn't going to be infinite, <laughs> so to speak, that uh, in fact we were reaching a thing called peak oil. A lot of people are dubious about what peak oil is and what it entails. The Briefly put, that peak oil, we've got the world has got halfway through its supply. We've got all the cheap oil out. Now any oil from there on becomes more and more expensive to extract. And we've got to look for it in more and more difficult places. Um, in the US, for instance, they're obtaining oil from shale by a process called fracking, hydraulic fracturing. And it's very expensive. The entire US shale oil industry has not made a profit in its entire existence. It's in fact hemorrhaging cash. Now, this will have an, a profound effect on the world's um, economy. We are an oil fueled fossil-fueled economy. They recently discovered that the biggest oil field in the world, Al-Gawar, in Saudi Arabia, has peaked. It's now on the way down. This is uh, very significant. It's um, characteristic of oil fields. That when they peak, they peak suddenly, and then they decline rapidly. And there are many other oil fields in the world of that vintage, and we are now going to be possibly faced with a constriction in energy. Now, our society runs on energy. If we don't have abundant and cheapish energy, then there are a lot of things we can't do. Um, for instance, our Thai food distribution network at the moment relies upon having plenty of diesel fuel. Our, our country is diesel fuel, diesel run. It carries our goods, it carries our foods, it carries our people. Our buses are diesel. The tram is not, but um, there's only one of them in town and we probably end up with some more. So the people in Totnes were well ahead of the game here and they recognised that if this is a fact and they accepted it was a fact, then we've got to do something about it. We have to design a future that doesn't rely heavily on fossil fuels, doesn't rely um, on long-distance transport of uh, foodstuffs, for instance. This is a particular concern of mine. It's ludicrous to think that uh, we grow vegetables just over the border in New South Wales. They go all the way up to the Sydney markets and then they come all the way back again in the supermarket. This is a huge expenditure of diesel fuel for no good purpose, except that it maybe somewhat simplifies the distribution and the retailing system. For fellow there, Rob mm -hmm. Hopkins was a, t a teacher in Ireland. He uh, was in a town called Kinsale in the southwest. He set up a, a course there. The students designed a plan. How would Kinsale cope if the energy uh, supplies became more expensive and were restricted in any way? They came up with a very good plan, and Rob took it back to Britain when he returned there and um, living in Totnes. He discovered a lot of like minds in Totnes and people there rather enthusiastically set about adapting the Kinsale plan to Totnes. And um, since then, the 
logic of this has become obvious to people around the world. Um, many transition movements have been set up. And it is growing. There is one in Canberra. It could be bigger. Um, we're very comfortable here. And I'll be slightly cynical and oh. say that when you're comfortable, you don't really think about alternative futures. You carry on with what you've got. But also a lot of people here are necessarily looking after their families, their careers, their many obligations, and they don't really have a lot of time to think about energy, price of energy. And there's a particularly unfortunate term that has been bandied about, and that's energy descent, which sounds very pessimistic. And in fact, we don't need pessimism here. Um, by descent, they simply mean that we descend from having abundant energy at cheap prices to not as much of it and far more expensive what it could go up to, who knows. Mm. So people are far more resilient than we give them credit for. You know, you give them, give them a challenge and so many people just rise to it so, um, so readily. Um, we can easily do that in camera, give them a challenge, and I think they will rise to it. But first we need them to understand the challenge and to um, then have a vision of what mm. they can do and then move on from there. Yeah, so it sounds like it's, it's very much driven um, starting off in smaller communities but wanting to tackle some very, very large problems. So um, outside of the uh, fuel issue you've mentioned, what are some of the other areas that the uh, transition movement would um, focus on and develop? Yeah, well, mate, thanks, Walter, for setting the scene with that. Um, maybe a little bit of the history of the transition movement in Canberra. Because Canberra's been quite active over the years with um, uh, grassroots community groups looking at transportation, energy, housing, education, food, um, one of the groups that was set up many years ago was uh, Sea Change. And when the transition movement came to Canberra, there was also the Environment Centre, the Conservation Council and Sea Change were already groups working in that space in different ways. So um, rather than sort of uh, introduce a new group and develop the, you know, the governance structures and the challenges of getting people who are volunteers working in multiple organisations, uh, the idea was to build more collaboration between the existing groups and set up a, uh, a transition movement which would meet every six months and bring all the groups in Canberra who were doing work right across the economy so, as Walter said about uh, the, the genesis of this movement in England, um, Shoemaker College is, uh, is a, a tertiary institution around that area. And a, an economist, uh, um, uh, I'm just trying to think of his first name, Shoemaker. E.F. Shoemaker. Yeah, E.F. Shoemaker wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. And uh, it really goes against the grain of most of the economic thinking that we've uh, had in our our culture, especially our Western culture, which has all been based around growth. And the, the idea of small is beautiful is that in a local economy where you actually keep jobs in the local area and recycle nutrients, including money and value, you can actually create a thriving ecosystem. So a lot of the metaphors are working with nature. and This is how nature works. Whereas we can see already in our world now that the, the idea of having all our governments and our corporations drive for growth this is a dysfunctional way of operating an ecosystem. In fact, in, in uh, living systems, when we have growth, we call that cancer. And uh, we actually need to manage our uh, economy and our ecosystems and our food production systems, our energy, 
our water, our well-being, uh, as, as if it's a natural ecosystem, so that it's a closed-loop cyclical model. And uh, you, when you see infinite growth, you know that that's malignant and cancerous, and uh, you change the way you're operating. So in Canberra, um, the transition movement has uh, set up... Uh, your networks of uh, people, and probably one of the best things, if anyone's ever looked for, if you just if you search for Transition Canberra, and uh, you'll probably find a a map that's uh, a mud map or a sort of a mind map of all the community groups and and also corporate groups. It, it's a it's a, a a rich picture of all the diverse activities that are happening in the transition movement in Canberra. And, and one of the things uh, that we're interested in doing is rather than relying on uh, the governance structures that are uh, controlled from above, like our corporations and our governments, because they, they actually don't have good access to um, people and information uh, uh, on the ground, we, we want to develop a community-based action plan. So rather than calling it an energy descent plan, which is what the transition movement has done in the past... We're thinking of uh, the language, and not everyone's up to speed with this sort of language, but this idea of regenerative, a regenerative Canberra community action plan. Regenerative is actually a nature-based idea where we're actually, uh, when you take action in the world or you grow something, uh, it's not at the expense of everything else. It actually adds more life to everything. So if you were in a regenerative agriculture situation you would be actually making your soils healthier and richer as you grow food for people's well-being. Now, most of our systems don't operate like this, so it takes people a little while to get up to speed with that, and I'd be more than happy to talk more about it. I'm, I'm feeling I'm sort of talking too yeah. much here already. So, you know, um, One of the previous shows, we actually touched on um, ethical fashion and how the um, pollution of the cotton-producing crops were a major, major issue. It's the world's third largest producer of toxins that industry and killing of course the bees and they're actually having a re regenerative movement now to have cotton crops that are only um, tied into regenerative farming so when you go and buy your cotton t-shirt it'll have a little label on it like you do when you buy your organic food and it'll state that it's from a, a farm that's using regenerative processes to um, preserve the soil and re-enliven the soil. Mm. So that the model you're suggesting is, is wonderful. Um, so are there any other major um, transition groups around Australia? So Canberra, is that a fairly recent um, development to do the transition movement here? Or is there's f sort of maybe more established groups elsewhere in Australia? Or are we on the cutting edge here? Um. I think we're, we're, it's sort of a, a, a low uh, boil, you know, like mm -hmm. a, it's under the radar a little bit. Um, th to build up scale, like there's a group in Mullaney, mm -hmm. I think, in Queensland. Uh, it doesn't take much to do a search mm -hmm. to find other groups. Um, th those groups who've been most successful have run um, town hall meetings where they get the whole community in their local um, town or village or rural area together and they ask people what they're passionate about and they and they use participative processes so this is not governance that's top down and driven by mm. like a local council or someone who's got power and authority mm. in the community it's very much at a grassroots level where the group processes and ways of people relating to each other 
are shared around. So some people who are passionate about housing, other people might be passionate about food, others on transport, others on energy, all can come together and, and get into little pods and work up a plan for their community. And they pull all that together and they come up with a community-owned action plan, which the transition movement has called an energy descent plan in the past. But here in Canberra, we want to call it a Regenerate Canberra Community Action Plan. And uh, we're running an event on uh, Thursday the 13th at the Renewables Hub. And we really welcome anyone to come along who wants to contribute to that action plan. We'll, we'll create a, a document that will continue to grow and evolve over time. And actually, j just to give you a bit of an idea, in, in Taiwan at the moment, some of the, the community-based action people there have had this idea. There are a lot of IT people with skills, and they've actually mirrored the government's websites for each agency inside mm -hmm. the government. The community has mirrored that website and developed their own policies and processes of how they'd like to tackle that portfolio. And because they're doing it in a way that's not adversarial with the government, but they've got a lot of volunteer effort, uh, especially in mm -hmm. IT skills, the government is feeling safe enough to start to steal some of the community's <laughs> policies and processes. Uh, and so this is a, a really uh, um, a backdoor way to influence power and authority by community-based action. Mm -hmm. and, and really the vision for Transition Towns is to leave the agency and the energy and the initiative for taking action mm -hmm. with the community. So one of the challenges we face in Canberra, we're a very modern city and, you know, it's very public servants based and uh, people, you know, you can tell even this morning, everyone's rushing off to work and getting their kids to school and the same thing will happen on the way back home. So we've built this economy where we've left no space in people's lives to do the things that actually generate well-being for our families, for our relationships, for our connections with our neighbours, for our sport clubs for our mm. faith institutions, all these things become mm. secondary to this mainstream activity mm -hmm. of just getting to work and make money. And most people don't always enjoy their work. You know, talk to most people. And work is just a transactional thing to get money, whereas we, we could design an economy where people did the things that mm. brought them alive, got them passionate and interested. If you had an economy like that, we, you know, that's transformational. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about the opportunities in that yeah. space. And I know the transitioning movement, which we'll talk about in a little while, um, it really has a model they like to use, which is envisioning. And um, I think a term I've heard them use is imagineering. So, um, you know, imagining with intent and moving towards that. I've actually been absent from Canberra for about 25 years living overseas. And I came back fairly recently and I've actually been really surprised at how many amazing um, groups and organisations there are um, being very proactive. And one group that I... Um, got in touch with fairly recently was Nina, uh, the New Economy Network of Australia. And we have Scotty Foster here from Nina. Perhaps you'd like to uh, introduce us to Nina and, and share some of the ideas that Nina might be doing to involve themselves in the transition movement. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Nina, as you say, it stands for the New Economy Network of Australia. Um, and I guess, yeah, a little potted history. We're, we're nowhere near as old as transition or anything like that, but... Um, the, the origins of Nina really sprung from a, a, a conference that, uh, that two people put on in 2016. It was Bronwyn Morgan from the University of New South Wales Law School and uh, Michelle Maloney from the Australian Earth Laws Alliance. And they conspired to get about 150 people along to uh, a conference in Sydney called Building the New Economy, Activism, Enterprise and Social Change. So... It was um, held in the Glebe Town Hall, I think. Um, 
but it covered all sorts of sorts of different sectors and approaches and, and they opened up very deliberately with with the planet and then they moved on to people and they were very conscious about nesting the economy within the planet and within the larger ecology because as as we all agree in this room I'm sure that um, the uh, the economy really is a subset of nature it's uh, not the other way around um, but one of the one of the little sub themes of the conference was to form a national network for those who are interested in and those actually creating new and better ways to provide our basic needs, I suppose, and, and the larger ones, but particularly the basic ones. Um, so that was in 2016. Um, we've had two national conferences since then, um, and there's there's a growing number of regional ones. Um, <laughs> incidentally, behind the lines, the show you're listening to now has been long and recorded. Um, all the national ones and um, and one one of the little ones down in East Gippsland. And you can find those on the SoundCloud site behind the lines, 98.3 on SoundCloud. If you search that and look up the playlists, you will find the, the Nina conferences, what we've got done yet. And if you'd like to hear more of that, please volunteer and you can come along and help edit the rest of them that haven't been finished. Um, so Nina has grown and it, it, they've been strategising and figuring out how they can form an, an actual legal entity and, and keep it in a distributed fashion, which is, is quite difficult because the, the Australian Corporations Law uh, mandates that pretty much anything, be it an association, a cooperative, a, a company, has to have a board and that board is in control and that board is legally responsible for the control that it does. So how do you combine that mandated structure that we need to have by law if we even want to open a bank account and combine that with the decentralised structure that we want to create as a as a building block for the new economy because one way to look at this is that the, the economy is an emergent property like in systems thinking sometimes there are things that are more than the sum of their parts like a human being we are a bunch of cells yes and the bunch of cells form an organ but that organ is more than just a bunch of cells it's like an organ it's doing a job and then the the body is not just a an assemblage of organs it's it's more you know it has this emergent property of mind i mean nobody's managed to scientifically pinpoint where the mind is yet um, but we all know we've got one um and the the economy is a similar thing it's an emergent property of our relationships and our behaviors towards one another um so we figure if we really have to get in on the ground level and try and form a cooperative um regenerative culture within the organisations that we're building. So, um, and, and that is totally taking a leaf out of the transition books. You, uh, you're going to, you're going to find all sorts of parallels here between transition and Nina. It's, it's quite striking and I'm, I'm really glad you've got us both here together. It's, it's very good. Um, I was looking at all of Nina's models here and the um, sectoral hubs sound like uh, the, um, the focus is on, on very, very similar ideas and, and goals, um, you know, to um, create focus on some of the um, areas that most need attention, but do it from a grassroots level. So what sort of things are Nina Canberra um, doing in relation to that right now? Well, um, so Nina Canberra is a geographic hub. So through that that deliberative process and taking advice from our members and, and all of that stuff, we, we wound up with a, a concept of hubs. Um, now, of course, there's the board, which is sort of the, the, the hub, the, 
the hub that sort of has the responsibility legally. So they're there. Um, but we have two elected hubs as well, which are sort of up at the, the top sort of level, I guess, if you want to frame it that way. Um, there's a strategic planning hub and members can elect people up to that one and we'll get to that when we talk about the event we're putting on on the 23rd. Um, and the other one is a participatory budgeting group so that when, when membership monies do come in and we get a few more members because we've only actually formally been around since January, um, when we get a bit more money coming in, um, it'll be up to the members to decide how that's spent um, and that's another form of economic democracy i suppose um so the hubs yes there are two types of hubs underneath that which are the local hubs which are um, called geographic hubs so far we've got adelaide brisbane canberra east gippsland melbourne newcastle and central new south wales and the hunter north queensland and perth uh, who are all active hubs um and sort of Within and beside the the geographic hubs, there are there are sectoral hubs. Now you can imagine how many sectors make up this here society. Mm. It's it's a pretty complex thing we do here as humans. And um, so far, <laughs> I'm going to take a deep <laughs> breath here. There's arts and culture, cities and urban communities, cooperatives, democracy and government, ecological, economics, education, energy, faith groups, First Nations, economics, food, health, housing, inner dimensions and healthy cultures, law reform and legal services, localisation, money and local currencies, research, rural and regional economies and technology. Uh, but there's many more that we could add to that. Um, and go to, the, go to the NINA website, neweconomy.org.au, to get a more legible sort of list of those things. Um, now, these are sectoral hubs, so they are national groups. Um, and they are within whatever sector it, it is there or whatever's closest to your sector. And they're a way of getting people to bump into each other. Now, the whole thing about Nina is that it's, it's, a, it's not there to do any projects as such. It's there to take all the people around Australia who are doing cool things, who are thinking about cool things, who are just interested in it. Uh, and it's to get them to bump into each other. And bumping into each other leads to conversations and conversations lead to learning and learning leads to new things. So it's, it's more, of a, more of a catalyst rather than a, a, something that's going to start putting projects on the ground by itself. Yeah, Except, it sounds like a bit of an organic think tank you've got going on Yeah, there. that's right, a, a grassroots think tank. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's probably a pretty good way to put it, actually. So all of these sectoral hubs are about that. Now, what the NINA strategic, um, the strategic circle, you could call them, does is each year they'll set a particular theme and they want feedback on that theme so all of the geographic hubs um, will put on an event each year with a particular theme and that theme will be very similar what well, this year it's, it's very similar to what transition is doing so the theme is um, what should our economy look like in 2030 um, and the idea again very similar to this envisioning idea is that we imagine, imagine a year, I guess, ahead in time and see what the ideal situation would be or at least the most practical situation. But, you know, who was it? I think it was... Oh, I can't remember. It was some famous bloke who had a map without utopia on it isn't worth having. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not go for gold? Um, so you, you have a think about what you really want and then you can reverse engineer that back to the present and figure out what steps you actually need to start taking to get yourself there. What I really loved about uh, the idea of envisioning and imagineering was that it was focusing on what you want to create rather than what 
you don't want to experience. So I think it was like Martin Luther King said that I'll, I'll go to a rally for peace, but not one against war. So it was about focusing on peace rather than war and saying that this is what we want to envision, what we want to create, rather than looking at all the problems of all the things that we don't like and focusing on that. And they're not saying the problems aren't there, but really making that vision about what it is that you'd want to experience. That's right, yeah. yeah. And Garel Perovitz from the States, he, he terms it in, in the, the, the package of standing on two legs. So, <laughs> yes, you do have to stop and you have to stall and there are a lot of bad things yeah. that are going on and, and that's absolutely important work that needs to continue and that, that's part of, part of what we need to think about. But unfortunately, over the last few years, we've been so busy doing all of that stuff that we've neglected mm-hmm. the, the building part, which is the other leg you stand mm-hmm. on. I mean, you don't keep your balance very well just hopping around on one leg. So mm-hmm. pop the other one down on the ground, stand firm, and you can, you can say then... I think the thing that really twigged me onto this was years ago when I was forest blockading and the poor old contractor, he was, you know, just a bloke with a mortgage on a bunch of machines and a business to go out and chop trees down. And the only point in the system that we were able to get to and an emergency response was to stop this poor fella doing his work. And he says to us, well, what am I supposed to be doing? The best thing anyone could come up with was uh, tourism. (laughs) And I felt so lame. I mean, I'm... God, surely there's something better than tourism. And this mm. bloke actually had a yabby farm as well, so mm. he was getting into other things. And now, yeah, so that, that sort of tweaked my brain a little and started the search for this many, many years ago now. Um, unfortunately, they're still logging, so that, uh, <laughs> that work needs mm. to continue. Um, but, yeah, building the new economy is a really vital part, and it's, it's a vital part of inspiration for people as well. Because inspiration, I think, really is the the antidote to depression and to apathy. Because, mm. yeah, if you look at just the news, you're going to be fully depressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know if it's designed that way deliberately or if that's just what the producers think people want to see. But, my God, I don't watch TV much. And when that comes up, it's like, oh, my God, shield the children's eyes. <laughs> it's, it's disgusting. Like and, and I spend my time instead looking at all the really good stories that are going on and searching the world for the, the greatest things that are happening and there's so much i guess yeah where, where we focus our attention is where all our energy goes yes and you know that's the thing the greatest challenge for most people is they don't know where to focus their attention so when you just tell them look here they believe that's the only reality so that's i'm very right. excited to hear about what you gentlemen have to share with the idea of envisioning um, Mm. as part of the transition movement. Like I hear a lot of what Nina's doing already, I can see is cross-pollinating into um, the transition model. And, you know, you've been touching on this idea of envisioning or imagineering, and I'd I'd love to learn more about that if you'd wanted Mm. to share how that works. Can I just pop a little bit of a cap on that little conversation there? So (laughs) I think with the the media... Well, it was Cello Biafra said many, many years ago, the old punk from the Dead Kennedys, he said, don't hate the media, become the media. And that is another thing that Nina's doing. We've got a journal coming out every month now, which has got amazing uh, amazing writing in it. And we're right on the cusp of, um, of uh, releasing the, the Nina podcast, which will be a weekly podcast, and that'll be uh, in conjunction with uh, Behind the Lines here on 2XX. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so... Definitely, yeah. Volunteer, join us and and get the news out there. Even talking to your friends and your neighbours and your family, that is becoming the media. 
getting a poster, putting it up somewhere. Just write mm. a poster. Look at the school strike posters and just write one of those out and put it up somewhere, you know? Well, not, not in a spot that's illegal. No, no. Just somewhere. Where you can be seen doing it. <laughs> mm. I'll put in a plug here for our transition meeting on the 13th of June. Remember that, folks? We need people to attend. We've got people uh, coming to, to the meeting already. Again, this will be very much along the Nina lines where we have a number of themes. Uh, we've got a few extra ones that you don't have, like uh, waste and recycling. Uh, one of our visions there, for instance, is that no waste materials will leave the ACT. Whatever comes in gets dealt with right here. Beautiful. But particularly we want younger people. It's all very well having retirees and the... I'll put in a plug for older people. We retirees run the run the show. We do the awful lot of volunteering around the place. We keep the grandchildren in line and we provide all sorts of volunteer services. But seriously, young people, it's your future and we have to look after that and be the best custodians possible. And uh, I do like the Aboriginal attitude towards the land, in fact, everything else, that it's not for them, it's for your next generation and the one after that. We have a long-term future. But we do need um, inspiration. I'm an ex-town planner and one of the famous people in the town planning movement was a fellow called Daniel Burnham. He was an American architect. He uh, planned the World's Columbian Exposition, Exposition in Chicago in 1893. It was a great success. But he said famously, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir the blood. And probably themselves will not be realised. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work. Remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die. But long after we are gone, it'll be a living thing asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. Remember that our children and grandchildren are going to do things that would stagger us. So let your watchword be order and your beacon beauty. Think big. Now, it's all very well thinking big, yes. We've got to start at the bottom somewhere and work up. But this is precisely what we're doing. I like Nina's approach that you've established the hubs. You uh, can get a little bit too reductionist if we're not careful into these various subcategories. And uh, everything overlaps. Economics is a bit like your, your back. If you injure your back, your discovery is connected to everything else and in more ways than one. Well, so is economics. But... Um, it's a false sort of economics that's driving our governments at the moment. One of my great uh, gurus out there is a fellow called Steve Keen. He was an economist, a professor of economics and finance at the University of Western Sydney until the UWS decided it didn't need an economics faculty anymore and got rid of it. So Steve went to London. He's now at Kingston University. He's, um, he was uh, notable because he was one of the few economists who predicted the 2008 global financial crisis, and he's predicting another one, and he's not alone in this. So there are many voices out there saying that the global economy is not well, it's not happy, it is wobbling. A poor old new liberal government has to face a possible economic downturn, severe economic downturn, if Steve's right and the others are right, and we need to be prepared for that. So we'll have to be they're able to offer some guidance, some hope to people if things get bad. Now, we've not been tested in this country in a long time in, in dire economic circumstances. Mm -hmm. I'm old enough to remember the credit squeeze back in the mm -hmm. 60s and the unhappiness that caused and uh, various other problems. Whitlam and Keating and um, Rudd all had the unfortunate uh, happenstance of being in government when the global economy made them look bad and wasn't necessarily their fault. That's one view anyway. <laughs> you can disagree if you want. But um, to 
change the story, we also need to change a lot of the basic economic thinking. And it is economics, I'm afraid, that is driving uh, our governments and our societies now. And it's a wrong economics, Steve Keen would say, and I agree with him. I'm no economist. I find that economics is a subject that cures insomnia. Nonetheless, I have to try and plough my way through it. Now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, food transport, it's economically stupid, I think, to send it far away or even up to Brisbane and then back down in order to sell it here. But we need a new paradigm. So that's what these sessions are designed to uh, encourage as people come together, they talk about what's going on. We offer them just thinking points along the lines of ecological economics. Um, it's a very important one to admit that the economy is a subsidiary of the environment. It's not the other way around. And that economies need energy, not something to buy and sell, which is the attitude, but it, energy empowers an economy. No energy, no economy. No economy, well, what do we eat and sleep and live in? So it is... Um, very fundamental. So if you come along to the session on the 13th, then Nina's one on the... 23rd. 23rd. We'll start a dialogue going in Canberra. We need the people, need your ideas, and we need your uh, participation. This is uh, vital. If I'll get a little bit cross. If you're going to sit at home <laughs> and not do anything and not contribute, then what's the point? Uh, you may be taken by surprise by events as they come up, whereas if we talk together and build a community together then um, be prepared. And mm. I remember the motto on the side of the RSL building Rose Bay in Sydney when I was growing up, uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Mm. At the time I thought that was rather silly, but then that was just a childish opinion, and mm. now I think it's dead right. Mm. It really is. And I think we're not being adequately vigilant to preserve our liberties. Um, so there's a, a gentleman by the name of Greg Braden who's uh, an author and he does a lot of um, future visioning and he's also talked about this where you know a lot of the models we have currently are definitely not sustainable and the idea of getting people to start to envision what could be possible that's very different to what they've been doing. So um, I really wanted to talk a bit more about what envisioning looks like with the transition movement and how would people get involved with that. Yeah, it's interesting you ask that. Uh, this idea of um, starting with what, and Scotty's mentioned it too, you know, mm -hmm. like if we, if we don't have some utopia, mm -hmm. like what does an ideal future look like? Mm -hmm. Because most of us don't get a chance to think that and usually we get knocked back. We're saying, well, that's unrealistic. And, you know, Walter's been talking a lot about uh, our economic thinking. That, that um, straitjacket that we live in in our economy uh, is a really challenging uh, sort of mental model, if you like, to step out of when you're in envisioning the future. And I could describe some of the ideas I've got for that, and I might do that. But just to get back into this construct that we've put around us, like if you just looked at planet Earth as a round blue ball in space, and underneath it, you know, $233 billion in debt. Mm. Now, that's a mental construct, you know, because there's another way of looking at that planet Earth, saying what a fantastic ecosystem that is for the evolving universe. As Scotty's been saying, this idea of uh, uh, emergent and generative processes, which is a natural, uh, alive, creative process that nature does, and, we, and humans are a part of that. So envisioning the future is also a creative process. 
So one of the first things we have to do is recognise that the economic thinking that we've got now is changeable. And most uh, leading edge young people studying economics, if you went to the London School of Economics now, there's people knocking on the lecturer's door saying, this is not good enough. You're calling all of these things externalities and just putting them outside the system that economic thinking is considering. I want you to bring the externalities back inside and give us uh, ecological economics. Now, that's a real challenge to the paradigm of uh, thinking at the moment that's just allowed us. So even anyone in Canberra who wants to start a project, most people say, well, where are we going to get the money from? And so, you know, we go to government or go to philanthropist or whatever. It's always scarce. So this idea of scarcity is actually, and fear, and we've just had an election that's been driven around fear, and uh, it drives, our brains are really triggered by this fear response. But there are cultures and ways of thinking, and I would say indigenous cultures are the strongest holders of these ways of operating, where you actually can see abundance operating in the world. And abundance actually comes out of a mindset of being grateful for what you've got. Now, you could be in a tough situation uh, and you still be grateful for whatever you've got and see that this is sufficient. And, and if you can live your life in a way that has sufficiency, you, you'll have a lot more gratitude, you'll get away from fear and scarcity, and you build this abundance mindset. Now, that, there's a whole sort of set of practices around building that cultural mindset. Once you've got that, your imagination really can expand and you can start envisioning the future. So we could have um, the currency that we use is actually a currency that is regenerative. So when you spend it, you don't actually sort of extract and, and, and kill the earth. You're actually uh, regenerating and regrowing it. Now, that's a really radical idea, but it doesn't take much for our best thinkers to shift into that way of thinking and build a, a currency and exchange of value with each other where when we spend our money, we're actually building well-being for everybody else. One of the really exciting things that's happening in the world at the moment is um, Bhutan, who's established, it's, a, it's only a small uh, uh, country in the Himalayas, a Buddhist country, but they've set up gross national happiness uh, as a sort of uh, a measure of how their economy and their country wants to work. And just recently, the New Zealanders, under the leadership of Jacinda Ardern, who, who is also uh, stepping outside the paradigm of old ways of leadership and building uh, models of uh, inclusion and uh, well-being, uh, developing an economic uh, budget that's driven by well-being indicators. And one of the really encouraging things about here in the ACT, we've got our politicians listening to this. So we're bringing well-being as a way to govern our economy. I mean, I haven't seen evidence of it yet, but I'm really encouraged by that. And we as citizens in this constituency really need to support our politicians and our bureaucrats learn to measure the success of how our economic system works, not by gross domestic product, which is actually a really destructive system, but uh, wellbeing indicators. And when we're all uh, aware of what those wellbeing indicators are, suddenly we can get really energised in our work and our life because we're now working in things that add value and uh, create uh, goodness in the world rather than extractive. So I can get really excited about that sort of stuff and so, we can transition into Yeah, so that. someone who's scratching their head and saying, look, I'm so disconnected from 
being able to envision anything, what would a well-being indicator look like? Because okay. um, I see it, there's a lot of uh, discussion around, you know, creating an inner transition before you can create an outer transition mm. for envisioning. Well, yeah, not, not everyone, uh, you know, you could say an inner transition mm-hmm. is a spiritual mm-hmm. um, pathway. Mm-hmm. But for, for a lot of people, it's just mental health. Mm-hmm. Like, can you get up out of bed in the morning and just enjoy your day without just having a whole lot of things just suck your energy away? Mm-hmm. A lot of us in our world now are struggling with that. Um, so people who've got some inner resources to do that work can, can survive on it. But we, one of the other things is we individualise everything in the, in the current economic system. You know, it's neoliberalism where the only agency is with each individual. But if we work to collectively together, uh, well-being can be something where we um, look at our, uh, our energy, like we've just been talking about energy, water, food, housing, transport, all of those things uh, when done in a way that doesn't extract uh, from uh, the, the planet and we use it as a circular economy, they can become uh, well-being indicators. They challenge corporations because if we all generated our own electricity and shared it in our local system, or we all grew our own food and shared it in our local system, or we all uh, educated each other in our local systems, you know, these ways of solving problems at a local level, they, uh, they take uh, agency and resources away from centralised corporate structures and, and, and put them into local communities. So we, we're exploring ways to do that that build well-being. And, and um, you know, look, I, maybe you could ask me some more questions about that, but I, I feel like I should let others talk as well on this. Um, so coming back to what you were saying there, Mark, about um, envisioning, so it's about inspiring people to take some action. Um, and there's an event coming up, I understand, that people can actively participate in. Would either of you gentlemen like to talk a bit more about that and how people could get involved and maybe get on board with some of this envisioning in a very practical way? Certainly. It's, um, as I said, it's at the Renewables Hub in Moore Street. It's on the 13th. If you go to the internet, your favourite search engine, type in Canberra Transition Regenerate, it'll lead you to the Eventbrite site and you'll see... uh, more detail there, more information, time, and you can book. And uh, there'll be, uh, it'll be a discussion. The idea is that we gather people and then we just simply listen to them. It's sort of an immense kitchen table conversation. The bigger we can make it, the <coughs> excuse me, the better. Um, it's a planning and a, a scoping activity. We want to develop a community action plan for Canberra. Now, as Mark said earlier, the politicians some of them at least are definitely on side with this i was at a meeting some time ago and shane rattenbury was there and i asked him shane what do you need from the people and he said look if i'm to do things i need your support uh there is uh very difficult for them to act on their own and most significant changes in this country have come about through the people not through parliament eight hour day that was a popular movement and um, Aboriginal uh, recognition that they even existed, there were people, came from the people and so on. So if we, the people, can develop a plan, a coherent plan, um, then then we can have something to present to our politicians. We support them. A lot of them are on the side. They really are. They do do care about Canberra. I'm very pleased with a lot of them. Um, 
and our children are now young adults are vividly aware of the problems ahead of us. Why do you think the school strike? So it'll be, uh, we've run uh, sessions like this before you come. We break up into discussion groups. Um, you can cluster around a thematic uh, heading if you want, or transport if you want, or housing. Housing is a very difficult one. Um, the uh, groups then will have a scribe. Ideas will come out and then we'll collect them together at the end. Now this should be just the first of several meetings. Uh, you don't develop an action plan overnight or in one meeting. So it's a process. And that's one thing I want to emphasize with this sort of work, that it's not an event-driven thing, it's a process-driven thing. A process takes time. You've got to work through it and, and uh, stage by stage. Nina's noticing this as well with their um, uh, set of meetings and we've got to work together. So this, this requires effort. And a lot of people um, quite happy to come once, but we need people to come more than once. I'd like to put out a plug too for diversity in agriculture, but also it seems to work in um, every area of life. It's diversity that matters, not, not a monoculture. Let's make an agricultural analogy. Monocultures largely destroy an ecosystem. You get one sort of grass, one sort of cow, and one sort of output, whereas a regenerative system has large numbers of species within it, large number of um, animals, types, plant types, and the soil biota are key to keeping it going. Now, all of the interesting things happen at the boundaries, at the joints, at the interfaces, at the cracks. It's not that you want all the people to be thinking all the same thing all the time. That is deadening, and that's what really neoliberalism has done to us. It's atomized us. You can have anything you want as long as you pay for your own resources. You cannot expect any public help. And yet that's not the Australian way. Look, get the latest quarterly essay. Free plug. Australia Fair, Listening to the Nation by Rebecca Huntley. Rebecca is one of Australia's leading social researchers. I found this edition extremely valuable in describing what the people think, how the nation is set up. One of the great Australian characteristics is that we want a fair go. We want justice, we want equity, and we expect our governments to deliver it to us. So if we then can make a case that the government, excuse me, is not delivering, then we can do that through these meetings, <coughs> sorry, and um, have a united voice. Sooner or later we've got to be united, sooner or later there has to be unity and diversity. Um, some of the headings, let's give, let me give me one or two ideas of the sort of envisaging that uh, I've had. And I've gone through Nina's list and I've uh, extended the headings with some of my own. Uh, one very interesting thing is in democracy and governance, how we governed. How about proposal for sortition for our parliament? Sortition is roughly the equivalent in politics of what um, jury service is elsewhere the people are chosen randomly from the uh well by the citizenry to go and sit on a jury well, why don't we extend that to parliament would that be a novel idea how about no uh, well, i'd rather have my neighbor up there making <laughs> decisions than i would these politicians exactly they're, they're nuts well, and it was, it was it used in ancient athens and uh, for how long it lasted there i don't know but uh now you could get a whole lot of rat bags it could be the luck of the draw but Overall, I think not. Juries aren't notorious for being ratbags, so how about Parliament? That's one big th big think. 
already got a pack yeah. of rat bags anyway. Well, I think right now in um, 10 Downing Street in London, they're actually putting forward that Larry the cat who lives there would <laughs> make a better job of things. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, that, um, that that's one of these great groups in Canberra that, that is, is doing all of this stuff already and would probably fit in well with both of our groups is uh, the Canberra Alliance for Participatory Democracy. And they've... Um, yeah, yeah, we'll have a uh, a podcast out with them shortly. We had a there, there's a the Nina, Nina holds monthly meetings in Canberra. Um, they're on uh, they're put on in tandem with a group called Cooperatives Commons and Communities Canberra or Co Canberra. So we we hold monthly meetings with um, just a bit of update. Co Canberra is actually a, a group that's on the ground trying to actually build a cooperative economy um, at the moment, and they've got a few projects there. They're, the one that's closest to fruition is the uh, pre-power renewable energy cooperatives, um, which will actually give you access to free solar panels for the membership price anyway, uh, renewable energy at a discounted price, and provide funding for building the rest of this economy that we're talking about. So they're going to be a key part of the uh, part of the uh, puzzle. Um, anyway, enough. We're not here about them, but every month you can come along and, and meet with them. But we did have CoCam. Uh, no, we didn't. We had CAPAD, the Canberra Alliance for Participatory Democracy, on just last month. So that was recorded and it'll come up on the Behind the Lines website. Have we had um, some of these um, previous envisioning um, transition town movements? Have, has there been anything tangible you could share that have come out of some of those meetings that have actually um, instigated major change and, and, and positive change? A lot of the things, uh, Zena, that have come from that, um, uh, even things like what Scotty's doing mm -hmm. in media, you know, um, you know that that gets shared with the diversity that Walter's talking about in the community, and uh, you know, little changes happen in the system that way. If you look at, say, the uh, Canberra City Farm, now that's a, a uh, an organisation, again, of volunteers, but it's come out of the network thinking of transition towns by uh, people saying, that this, and again, diverse people coming together with their own passionate ideas. A lot of them might be gardeners or organic growers. And Canberra's got a long history of uh, Canberra organic growers having uh, community gardens all around the city. And there's a lot of re really rich learning in that community around how to grow food even in uh, a climate that's as diverse as Canberra, like, you know, we've had a frost this morning, well, we've got skills in our city where people can grow food in that sort of weather. And even if we're in a massive drought, how to, uh, you know, grow food where you're using water optimally. So that, uh, the Canberra City Farm is really, um, its vision is to be uh, an educator uh, and like uh, a national institution like uh, Questacon, an experiential learning pathway for sustainability and food production in urban environments or peri-urban environments. So we want to support the farmers who live around uh, Canberra within you know, a couple of hundred kilometres. They need in their small business an economy to bring their nutrient-dense food, if they're growing it in their landscape, into the city. And any waste products from that, like which we call waste, but it's actually nutrient-rich uh, compost, needs to go back, rather than burying that in, in the ground and then having to have a whole lot of other uh, processes to deal with methane, extraction and all of this, 
you bring that really rich organic material back in as compost for soil production. Now, we could run this whole city on a cyclical economy like that if we, if we had our design thinking and imagineering. In my professional work, I work in leadership development and culture change in organisations for people to be their best. Most of my clients in government and in business work in very narrow silos, very controlled, and they talk about innovation a lot. But when it gets down to it, the real capability of people to be creative and innovative isn't there. There's a lot of fear in uh, you know, top-driven hierarchical structures. And, uh, but when you get grassroots uh, shared leadership and diversity uh, and organisations looking to work with flat, flatter structures and more capacity for making change and innovation happen, you get a lot of fantastic imagineering. And one of the ideas, and this comes out of the creative industries, is to, when you um, run something that's new, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like governments are very fearful of running a pilot project because it gets pulled apart by the media and there's a lot of people who don't like it. But in a design space and a creative space, the whole idea is to prototype things very fast and fail fast. So we know it's not going to work in the first instance. So you don't have any hang-ups about that. You give it a good go and then you learn. So this is what Scotty's been saying. You create an environment that's safe for people to get feedback and learn from it rather than feel like their whole reputation's damaged because it, got, uh, it didn't work, which is what happens in government. What we, what we do is create a safe environment for experimentation and change and it's actually fun and exciting and people working together to create the new future together. Now, we've got the capacity in communities to do that. But again, you know, when most people in their, you know, say from their 30s to their 50s have sort of got their kids at school and, you know, they're running around in the economy with no space, most of the volunteer community effort, that all that uh, uh, time that people have had in their lives, like when I grew up in a large family, we only needed one income in our family to, to sustain a large family. And when I grew up, it was quite challenging for me and my wife to uh, run our uh, household uh, on just one income. But we had a go at it. So I would say, you know, that was a struggling time in my life. But I'm really grateful for the way that I brought up my children to have love and connection and relationship rather than just uh, their parents going away, having to flog themselves to get to work. Now, my children, all three of them live in Sydney. There's no way that they could run their own household or buy a house with even two incomes now. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've allowed this economy to create like that and we can actually reverse that with the sort of smart imagineering thinking that we're talking about. Now these are big systems changes, but our politicians aren't going to change because we've got uh, you know, the corporate uh, influence in the media, and I'm not saying all corporates have got this influence, but people who've got power and control now don't want to give it away. It's only been social movements that have uh, influenced the system to say, no, this is not working, this is dysfunctional. And so we need to create a new system like that. That's the sort of capability of imagineering and possibility. Mm. So um, I like how they say about writing the story backwards. So when you're um, looking at the issue 
from that place and going, how can we change this? Mm. I mean, look at all the fabulous movements that have grown out of some of the challenges that you've talked about. I mean, housing has become unaffordable and it's had an explosion in the tiny house movement and tiny house villages and tiny house communities and people realising they don't need 2,000 square feet um, to live comfortably anymore. You can actually have a much richer quality of life um, and focusing on other things rather than paying a mortgage for 2,000 square feet that mm. you're not using. Mm. And um, from farming, as you mentioned, that you know some of the challenges about... Um, you know, now moving towards regenerative farming, I have friends in the UK who run a very large aquaponic farm and uh, in Somerset. And some years ago, there was massive flooding of the Somerset levels, which hadn't been maintained, which were designed to sort of keep the dikes um, contained. And uh, they collapsed and there was massive flooding of all the arable land down there. And it was polluted with sewerage. And they were the only farm in the area that could still keep growing and selling because they were using the aquaponic model, which mm. is not growing in the ground. It's having the beds raised in a sort of a volcanic um, pebble or stone and using a closed circuit system with fish. So, uh, again, all these um, ideas were inspiring people and many, many of the people that um, got involved in these movements um, just were desperate for something something to give them an idea to envision um, so if anyone else would like to um, share some thoughts around that sure. yeah look I mean um, I, I think with the whole imagineering thing it mm. is it's really essential that we, we mm. put the economy in its proper context mm. now we're here we're stuck in these bodies right mm. whether you're Christian whether you're atheist whether you're I don't know, breatharian, whatever you want. You're in your body, you're stuck in there, it's got certain needs and there's only one place that you can get that and that's out of nature. Now, you can do that via an economy or you can plant the seed and grow it yourself. Um, now, what is the economy really? What is it? It's a set of It's a set of rules that we've convinced each other and ourselves that we need to follow in order to meet those basic needs. It's a... It's, a, it's an extra level we've added between nature and ourselves. Um, and, you know, it does amazing things. I mean, throwing people up to the moon and, and air travel. I mean, you can't take one of those bloody things. It's, what, 100 tonnes or something. It can't fly, but there it is going over your head. Mm. Miraculous things have happened, and we want to keep as much of that as we can, but we can't neglect that first bit where we really need it to survive and and the point i really want to make is that it's imaginary this set of rules that we've made we've come up with it out of thin air you know if you go into space you can't see the economy you know looking back at earth and it's not there it's a thing that's held in our imagination and it's in our collective consciousness and that is also the solution it is the problem and it is the solution if we can change our collective consciousness through through amplifying the good things that are going on, through pointing out why the bad things are bad, um, that's a that's a good start, I guess. But um, yeah, we're going to need to get the arts involved and, and storytellers through TV and film and all sorts of things. Which is Basically, everyone that got their funding cut. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Maybe we need a, a cooperative of broke artists or something yeah. in fact the arts are very important they help us to imagine in their own right it's a, a way of expressing the inexpressible if you um want to produce uh, new ways of thinking well you have to go to the arts the poetry and the bards and the, the minstrels and the like and uh, they they take us out of ourselves particularly music um some of the great symphonies or uh 
an inspired jazz band. It, it, it gets your mind in a different place. But one thing that I think a big change we, we should envisage uh, is that we really need to end this litigation mentality. We've got fear of failure, fear of damage, fear of uh, something happening to us and that um, it's never my fault, it's always somebody else's fault. When I grew up, when I were a lad, um, it was taken for granted that you had a certain... Uh, responsibility on yourself not to be stupid and not to walk into trees and not to uh, uh, injure yourself or if you did fall off a fence well that was your problem you shouldn't have been on the fence in the first place or 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 it goes on and now we've got to the stage where we anything happens it's always somebody else's fault and then you get ambulance chasing lawyers and it's poisoned I think the environment it's made it very difficult to experiment in any area at all what happens if I fail? Who's going to sue me? Who's going to come after me for money? Um, and then this seems to segue into another aspect, which is that we really need to stop punishing the poor and the disadvantaged. Um, if you're poor, you're poor because uh, you're inferior or you just can't uh, hack it, you're, you're dispensable. And um, this, this again flows through into housing, where if you're homeless, it's your own fault, and we're not going to help you with housing until you've reformed yourself, whereas they're finding in other parts of the world that if you help the homeless uh, with housing first, put them into something, then they can start the process of reforming their lives and and getting in control of themselves. So that is a reversal of how we think. And how we get this through, I really don't know. Yet I'm noticing encouraging signs around town, just a little thing. I live in the Scullin. And people have become tired of the moribund skull and shops. And so mm -hmm. a group recently uh, opened up a shop there, took a lease on the front of Armid's Bakery, and it's now the skull and trader. And there are volunteers manning it. We don't have enough volunteers for every day of the week. Hint, hint out there. Anybody in skull and want to volunteer? <laughs> but people are getting tired of being atomized, getting tired of having to go to the major shops. So this is another inversion of thinking, relocalization. Uh, so instead of looking for the corporations to do it for us, uh, we expect government to do it for us, but we need to support them. We have to drive the agenda. And this is a total inversion of thinking. I refer you back to that quarterly essay. Uh, Australians are far more concerned about equity, justice, and a fair go than we think. Uh, the media are telling us the wrong story. We need to produce a new story. I think it was Lynn mm. McTaggart that said she did a lot of um, research on um, the human condition and she was saying that human beings are actually wired to care and to share and to be fair. That's intrinsically our nature and we're being conditioned out of it mm. by a lot of the, the things that you've talked about. So um, with this event that's coming up and with the results that will be generated, um, how are those results implemented? Like what's the next stage after um, you know, having these discussions and envisionings? Well, a lot of people feel, um, you know, just sitting around talking mm. is, is a bit draining. So mm. everything needs to be a party and mm. a creative process. So if you're involved in any change, you look at the way the best young people are running change projects at the moment, like Extinction Rebellion, uh, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, uh, you know, Striking for Schools. You know, kids want to see um, life and energy coming mm. about. Like, there's a lot of mental health issues with young people across Australia and especially in rural communities and when you haven't got meaning and purpose in your life you know you're you start to go backwards 
So, you know, as adults, we need to, uh, one of our first responsibilities is to create a thriving environment mm. for the next generations. And I think that's being challenged at the moment by this rigid thinking that Scotty's talking about. We've allowed this sort of structure, which really, if you, if you understand how that game is rigged, and not everyone wants to explore that, but it's definitely set up to just channel resources and money and power to a certain group of people. Mm. And it's not our politicians, it's even behind that. So there, the, our politicians play in that space to, to get their access to that. But we can, we can change that game. So if we're having a conversation in Canberra with just a, a little old group of people in the community, uh, a lot of people think, well, what can we do about it? So one of the things is to create agency for people to be able to take action in their own space. Now, when we've run kitchen table conversations in Canberra in the past, and that's a respectful way for people to listen to each other, not a place where you challenge each other's views because, you know, there's heaps of ways we can all fight and disagree with each other, but there's so much we do have in common. But one person might say, well, look, I'm just worried about the pothole outside my uh, front door on my house. And the next-door neighbour uh, doesn't worry about that at all. They're worried about climate change. Mm -hmm. Now, rather than those people fighting each other about that, mm -hmm. saying what's the most important thing, we put both those things on the table and, and then when we hear everybody else, we start to see hey, just in my little community here, we've actually developed a whole set of actions and policies that are better than what any of our politicians mm -hmm. could put together for us. What sort of things can we do about it? And if we ask people that, they say, well, look, I could go down to my local shopping centre and talk to the shopkeeper about da-da-da-da-da, mm -hmm. or I could go to my school and talk to them mm -hmm. about this and this. So we, we look at things that we can do in our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. And some of us might even have relationships with public servants or politicians mm -hmm. But rather than using a power over sort of adversarial um, influencing relationship, we, we use a relational connection, building relationships mm -hmm. and connections. And we can influence uh, the, the organisations and structures that are in our community. Most of the time we either see it's personal action that we can take, you know, ride our bike, change mm -hmm. our light bulbs, and there's a lot of people doing fantastic work mm -hmm. in that space, or we... Um, you know, um, sign petitions and sort of, uh, you know, uh, influence our politicians. Mm -hmm. But the other space that we can work in is working with our family and local groups uh, close to us. And then with, and probably this is the most powerful area that we can make change happen in our local communities, is look at the organisations and institutions that we have relationships with and how, how can we work with that. So what, what this action plan will do is is help people focus on the areas where they can take responsibility and have fun doing things and have agency in doing it. So they don't have to uh, implore someone else to do something. People can take uh, control of it themselves and work with the, the diversity of people. Mm -hmm. Now, that takes a little bit of a while to set up because most of us don't work in institutions mm -hmm. that operate like that. And, um, you know, and we're flat out in our lives all the time. So we, we've, we've, we've succumbed to this structure that keeps driving it. So, it, it, you know, the people who are committed to it, and there's some fantastic people in this city, when you meet the people who've actually, you know, just take one day off a week in their work, so they've gone to four days a week working in the public servants, these are highly skilled professional people, and they say, no, for my life to have meaning and purpose, I'm going to devote one day of my life to the things that are really important in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, when you meet people like that and you're working with people like that, mm -hmm. hey, it's good fun. Fantastic mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, look, and I reckon 
As, as soon as we do get a good team together, you're spot on there, Mark. You so are. It's really exciting. You're making change. You're out there doing stuff in the world. And, and you know, we can save the world and we can have an excellent party doing it. There's no reason this has got to be, oh, it's hard work that we've got to do and get out there and change things. It's really difficult. No, no, no. We can have a barbecue and talk around that. And as long as there's someone writing down what we're yarning about, that's a meeting. Away you go, you know. Um, yeah, and we can. We can make the planet great again, eh? Yeah. Yes. And it sounds like, we, like you really want to generate a, a good cross-section of people coming to these events. And um, mm. if you've got any suggestions about how we can encourage that, because I noticed in just a little bit of volunteering I'm doing, I'm seeing the same faces oh, yeah, over and over yeah. again at, at the events that are, you know, sort of motivated and involved and interested and yes. engaged. I just but, want to answer yeah, your sorry. previous question before, yeah, because sure. I forgot to answer that. Yeah. I get to be tangential <laughs> at times. Um, but um, how, how is the event of, of Nina going to sort of, result in anything actual yeah. um so the 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 local hubs one of the functions with the uh, I, I said before that the strategic hubs set a theme every year but i didn't mm. finish that uh, that thought so what the function of this event will be is to gather um ideas uh thoughts and 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 things from our local community and other communities around australia will be doing the same thing this feedback's going to be fed up up to the strategic hub who's going to sort of collate it into something that's not 30 dot points that are all the same idea and sort of condense it into good um, something that's a bit more usable and, and feed it straight back down to all of the members around Australia. So in this way, it's a real amplification of locals. So I can have an idea sitting here in Canberra and through this process, it gets spread nationally so that it can then enter the imagination of other people and it might form a little maybe too thin a cog of mm. some machine that somebody's building in their mind and, and come out as a better thing. Um, so that's one way. And I guess the, uh, the, the, the local hubs are also sort of, you can form a, an education group or you could form a, a housing group or something like that in there. And, and things like Co-Canberra, which are allied, I'm sure there's other groups like that around the country and they're, they're going to be sucking all of these ideas in and, mm -hmm. and forming them. And again, that's the sort of thing that Transition's done. How can we work together? We can look at the Transition Coggle Map, which is a brilliant mm -hmm. piece of resource out there. Uh, we can see we've got the city farm, we've got the southern harvest, we've got farmer's market, there's there's a community-owned farming enterprise that Co-Canberra's putting on. Um, we can get all these people together we can have a food meeting and, and the, you know, Transition can put it on or Nina can put it on. It doesn't really matter. We'll just let each other know. We know we're all in the same network doing the same stuff and we support each other. We go along to each other's events and, and that's certainly, I'll be down at uh, the Transition event. And, uh, yeah. So, and then, so once all this... And now will follow yeah. up on the 23rd. Once all this great feedback come, comes in, um, how do decisions get made and implemented? Um, with the feedback so where does it go from there so people that maybe come to this event and then they're not able to continue on with a group but they'd like to know how how the information gets used and well i guess you could you can join nina it's only 30 bucks to become a member um for an individual or mm -hmm. i think it's 80 to, to start with mm -hmm. for an organization um so it's it's quite accessible um and the, you get then access to all of these different hubs um and you can just go along to your locals meeting without even being a member. That's fine. No one, no one's going to mind about that. Um, but yeah, there'll be 
records and things. Now, remember, we were really in the very early stages. So, you know, you might look up a lot of these hubs on the website today and it'll say coming soon. (laughs) But it is coming soon. That website's been slowly, incrementally getting better. Uh, The Canberra Hub now has its page. If you'd looked last week, it was coming soon as well. So (laughs) we've now got our event up there. It's arrived. That's right. We're here. (laughs) So did you want to just uh, remind the folks about the um, the NINA event that's coming up there? Yeah, sure. I mean... Yeah, the poster is, um, is <laughs> what should our economy look like in 2030? And, and we're really, we're thinking, I mean, what about this election that just happened? And, and the climate situation is dire. I mean, it is a climate emergency now. So what do we do? We have to go back to exactly what Walter and Mark are saying. We've got to do it ourselves. We can't sit back and wait for the Liberal government to do this. My goodness, these are three precious years. We cannot waste them waiting for these corporate lunatics to break out of their imaginary bars and start thinking like us. No, they're not going to do it. We have to build that economy. Now, when we get our economy built that's local, we've got businesses that are putting money back into the community. Where are they not putting it? They're not putting it up into the extractive structures of the corporations and the billionaires. And, you know, that has to be one of our mottos. Don't feed the billionaires. They're not worth feeding. They've got enough. We need to feed ourselves. We need to keep that money local. And that money is energy. And nature keeps energy flows local. We have to follow the patterns of nature. They're well established over 3.6 billion years of collective experimentation constantly throughout this vast planet. And the patterns that emerge out of that and recur are proven. Let's use those. Let's not look at what some economist came up with sort of 150 years ago and and did write down in a very appealing little diagram Um, (laughs) and we've been following ever since increasingly it doesn't work it's eating the planet it's dividing people and we can do better than that Fantastic. Thanks, Scotty. One of the things I've noticed just being in the studio with you gentlemen is when you get onto a topic that you're really connected with is how much aliveness and energy you're all giving off. And I think that's a just um, great inspiration for people you know, out there wondering what does it look like to be on purpose? I mean, listening to these gentlemen here, that's what it looks like. You know, you actually have way more energy and enthusiasm to go forward in life. Um, we're getting close to the end here. Is there anything else, um, Walter or Mark, you'd like to add about, mm. about transition and the upcoming event? Sure. I just wanted to work on this idea of, um, you know, when people can't come, uh, who looks after it? Mm. And this, this gets back to governance. And um, if you use nature as a model, like the biggest trees in the forest aren't the bosses of the little fungi and the ants on the forest floor. They're all a massive collaboration. And they all don't know how they're going to work together. So one of the challenges in governing an an organisation like what we're talking about here is you're only relying on voluntary effort. So you can't uh, be directive and controlling people. You have to make it creative and exciting and, and that comes out of what Scotty's been saying, which is emergence. Mm. Now, this is when you're into systems thinking and you understand how ecosystems work, emergence is not uh, a language that comes out of our classical physics and, uh, and a universe that's sort of controlled by a distant patriarch mm. or a clockwork universe. Mm. This is a creative, exciting universe mm. that's flourishing in life. Mm. So the governance systems that we work in this, like we don't know who's going to turn up. But if we create uh, an environment, like put mm. the soil, make the soil rich enough, mm. or the container, 
strong enough for people to be creative inside it, then their own energy is what drives it. So whoever turns up is, is what will make it work. There's not a central uh, organising structure trying to you know, make everybody do things. Now, these are, these are experimental ways of working, and sometimes they, they struggle. Uh, but we're trying to build cultures where everyone feels like they've got some skin in the game. Mm. So, but um, what was the question you were asking me? I just sort of went on. Well, to that I was one. just saying, you know, is there anything you wanted to add that we haven't covered? Yeah. Just to uh, make sure we're nice and well-rounded here. Okay. Well, even though we're talking up this mm. event that's it's happening mm. in uh, a couple of weeks, like all is not done mm. and dusted on that. Mm. Like there will be a, a seed planted there mm. to create. A, Regenerate Canberra Community Action Plan. Mm. Now, everyone's got a different imagination how that could go. So there'll be a starting point for that. And then somewhere in the future, we'll build on that and we'll keep growing. And what we're trying to do is, if, you, if I said what my imagineering is, mm. that story I told you earlier about what's happening in Taiwan, where mm. the community creates structures and ways and information exchange systems mm that are so well-grounded and effective that the government wants to steal their ideas mm. and use it, that's a vision that I would have for Canberra, mm. that our government would feel really grateful that there's community investing in that. And our government hasn't got enough resources mm. to do all the community engagement. You know, it's a municipal government and a state government at the mm. same time. Mm. So all those good public servants and politicians trying to do their work in a structure that's not uh, fit for purpose. So, you know, we're, we've got to add, add value. Now, most of us as citizens have been used to just sitting back and saying, well, that's someone else's job to do that. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is keep on working, uh, and, it, and it needs to be good fun because mm -hmm. if most people have got to go to work, you know, they're going to they're have to uh, take a, a cut in their money coming in to create more meaning and purpose in their life. Now, not everyone's up for that conversation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the people who are, we want to create a space for them to create the future that they, that their hearts feel is possible. Mm. So I feel that's an exciting space to be in. No, to, to add on to that, I mean, we, we can't rely on government to do things for us because the next government will come in, they'll change, and because of the party system, they hate each other, they'll change those programs, put in their new ones. It's happened so many times. Talk to the Aboriginal people about mm. it. It's, it's not an effective way of maintaining long-term funding for anything. Mm. So again, we have to do that ourselves. As we form these cooperatives, take the model from Mondragon, been going since 1956, roughly 100,000 employees. They take from each enterprise they've got within their a certain, probably about 10% mm -hmm. of their profits, and they put them up to mm. another level and that level runs um, hospitals it runs a, a social security system it runs everything we can do this ourselves we don't need the corporations absolutely we need the government to do a little bit but not very much but we can do the rest ourselves we can design it and we can own it and that's really the only way we're going to get out of this um, now the speakers that we do have answering your question I diverted again sorry guys I'll be very quick the speakers uh, the MC is Maddie Diamond from Sea Change um, Andrea Simmons is going to be talking from Canberra Transition Towns. I've heard they've, they're doing up some sort of document. Um, and there you go. They're even having a meeting about it. Mm -hmm. Jeff Davies, who's an author, scientist and economics critic, and hopefully he'll be talking about this systems thinking. He's amazing. Matilda Webb is from the School Strike for Climate. We've got the youth coming in. Um, some bloke called Scotty Foster from Co Canberra. And, of course, the most important person who's going to be talking there is you. So get along. And, and, and have a say. It doesn't matter. There are no stupid questions. There are no stupid ideas. Bring them along. Let them fly. Okay, that'll be at the Canberra Food Co-op 
3 Kingsley Street, Canberra, on Sunday the 23rd from 4 till 8.30, neweconomy.org.au. Over to you guys. Oh, wonderful. Um, Is there anything you'd like to add, Walter, and maybe just remind us of the date of the event? And certainly. I'll, I'll remind you the date first. <laughs> Thursday, 13th of June, at the Renewables Hub. Uh, go to your website, Google Canberra, Transition, Regenerate. And you'll be led to the Eventbrite site where you can sign up. It'll be a good evening. I've had a number of these before. And it is energising. It is uh, fun. It is exciting. And we do come up with very useful uh, materials, very useful um, ideas that we can submit to government. Remember, we are the, in effect, we, the people, are the soil. And things grow out of us. Um, and the Shane Rattenbury said, I need your support. So unless we give them something to work on, they're just going to be rattling around in a vacuum. Um, very quickly, you wanted some idea of a practicality that emerges from transition. I'll point you to the Totnes Pound. They created their own currency. There's also the Bristol Pound going at the moment. Uh, the whole idea is that you keep expenditure within the village, within the town. Shouldn't call Totnes a village. <laughs> um, it diminishes escape expenditure, so you don't get the profits uh, or much of the spending going off to Sydney or anywhere else. They've had to call a close to the Totnes Pound mainly because of the rise of electronic payment methods. It, it just doesn't work anymore. Why the Bristol Pound is still going, I don't know. But that was a very practical implementation of something we could envisage. Canberra's uh, the Canberra dollar. We'll call it something else. That might yeah. be an interesting experiment. Whether a treasury would let us do that remains to be seen. The Bank of England tolerated the Totnes pound. Uh, I don't know whether the Reserve Bank would tolerate a Canberra dollar. Call it a local energy trading system. Yeah, There's hundreds yeah. of them around the country, yeah. but none in Canberra. That yeah. might be another thing we could do. There you go. Wonderful. Well, thank you um, so much for joining us in the studio today, gentlemen. So we had uh, Walter Steensby from Regenerate Canberra. We had Mark Spain from Sea Change and Scotty Foster from Nina. And I'm Zena Richardson, who's been filling in for Scotty Foster while he's been sitting on the other side of the mic today. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks.